right, good morning, transit family. Feel free to grab a seat. Grab a seat, grab a seat. How's everyone doing today? I don't know about you, but I've never been more excited to get rain yesterday. You know, anyone here struggle with some allergies this season? Oh my goodness. I was like, thank you, Lord. Wash away the pollen, Jesus, like you've washed away my sins. It was amazing. All right, so uh, today in our text, uh, we are in Ephesians chapter 2, verses uh, 11 through 19. So if you have your Bibles, uh, open up to Ephesians 2, 11 through 19. We're going to take a, a somewhat different approach this morning. Uh, we're going to dive into our text, but we're also going to highlight our community group ministry through this text. And so if you've been at the transit for a while, you know that our community groups are the bread and butter of uh, kind of what we do here at the transit, and our community groups run in cycles. And so uh, we meet for three months, and we take a month off. We meet for three months, we take a month off. So you know that the month of April has been a month that we've taken off. We were in uh, each other's homes, fellowshipping together, praying and worshiping together from January to March, and we took April off. And in about eight days, we are jumping back into our summer community group cycle from May to July. Who here is excited about that? Yeah, there you are. Go Springfield, CG. All right. Shameless plug uh, for that. So the reason I want to emphasize that, if you are here today and um, you're calling Transit Church your home and um, you're, you're shifting from uh, uh, dating us to uh, committing to us, um, I would just highly encourage you, use um, this sermon as a, kind of a, a nudge from the Holy Spirit to, hey, uh, come join us in community throughout the week. And if you are looking to find a group, it's super, super easy. Go online, go on our website, uh, our community group tabs, and it'll have all the names of the groups, where they're located uh, in and around this church uh, uh, location, like you have one about Mount Vernon, Lorton, Rose Hill, Springfield, so on and so forth, and then find the time that works for you, and then reach out to us and get plugged in. So find a group, join a group. In eight days, we're diving back in. And uh, the reason I want to emphasize that is in our text today, we're talking about how we were hardwired for community, that the work of Jesus that uh, Paul has been talking about in his letter to the uh, believers in and around Ephesus, he's been talking about vertical reconciliation. He's talked about how Jesus has reconciled us back vertically to God. And today, what Paul is going to highlight is that the reconciling work of Jesus was not just us to God, but us to each other as the church. That where there once was division and hostility, Jesus Christ came and preached peace to us and brought us together from different backgrounds, different ethnicities, different socioeconomic backgrounds, and he brought us together in one body, the church of Jesus Christ being God's family, God's body, Jesus's new um, creation. And so when we talk about community and the importance of community, there's kind of two ends of the spectrum, two people, um, if you will, two caricatures of our attitudes and our postures towards being involved in community. And the first person I've entitled, sorry if your name is Nate this morning, is Super Needy Nate. Super Needy Nate. I was going to say Nick, but then you guys would maybe view me differently. So I'm not going to say that. But Super Needy Nate, his refrain when it comes to the church community is this, is that the church community exists to serve me and meet all my needs. And I got a lot of needs, so y'all better get to work. Me and my needs. So we come in, and that's, that's kind of the, the one end of the spectrum is that community. I need to go to community to get all my needs met. So therefore, everyone exists to, to serve me. The second person on the other end of the spectrum is I like to entitle Lone Ranger Larry. And I realized in my 
notes, I misspelled Lone. I don't know how that, but anyways, Lone Ranger Larry. And Lone Ranger Larry's refrain is, you know, is that John Wayne just, just it's all about just me and Jesus. I don't have any needs. I don't, I don't know why he has a country accent, but this is how I picture Lone Ranger Larry is, I don't need the church. I can do this on my own. I don't need community. I know the church was Jesus' idea. I know it's God's family. I know that when I've been saved, I've also been saved to God's family, in God's family. Together, in one body, I've been reconciled to God. It's not just me and Jesus. When you get Jesus, you get his church. When you get Jesus, you get his family, right? There's, there's just no way about it. And so the Lone, Lone Ranger goes, I don't have any needs. I can do this on my own. He's got his, you know, his six-shooter on his hip, and he's just going to do his thing and shun himself from the rest of the church. And uh, side note, but to illustrate Kind of the absurdity of those two kind of mindsets when we approach community is um, to, uh, this afternoon around 5 o'clock, uh, my family is gathering to honor my mom. She's having her, we're celebrating her birthday this afternoon. So, yay, happy birthday. So she's going to come up here and give an impromptu speech. Just kidding. Um, but if I were to go and say, like, I would be super needy Nick, and I would go and I would think that the reason of that gathering at 5 o'clock tonight with my family was for all my siblings that are there to meet my needs. So pools open, so I would lay on the raft, and I would bring bamboo leaves for them to fan me at just the right speed and get me a daiquiri right and then push me when I want to be pushed into the water. You know, like that would be my mindset. That would be absurd, right? It's not about me, right? We're there to honor my <laughs> Donis is chuckling over there. Uh, or, or the other side would be my approach would be I don't need my brothers and sisters. I'm just here for my mom, right? And I'm just going gonna, gonna to shun myself. I'm going to like hide away in my old bedroom. And just, and just wait for my mom, you know, like to come from outside to hang out with me. But I'm just shunning all my faith. Like, I don't need them. That would be absurd. Right? And the whole reason we're gathering there today, we're, we're gathering tonight as the Mudrazo family and giving honor to the one who gave birth to us. She's the reason we're here. Right? Like, and in the same way, like the new birth, like we've been made alive in Christ. And what we'll see in our text today, Jesus has made us a new creation. So the reason we're here today is because Jesus, he has caused all of us to be here who are in him, who've been uh, brought from death to life and have been adopted into God's family so that the sons and daughters of God can cry out today in one voice from all different backgrounds. And they can say, you are a good, good father. Right? That's what this meeting is about. This is why this community is about, is we fix our eyes vertically at our Father for who he is and what he's done for us in the giving of his Son. And yes, of course, like um, you have needs, and hopefully the church uh, will meet those needs, and you'll use your gifting and your time to serve others and meet those needs as well. But what, the reason I want to emphasize all this is that when you and I gather collectively on Sunday service or in our community groups or um, wherever, whenever we gather, we are telling a story of the one who gathered us in the first place. So when we gather, when we're committed to gather, we're telling a story of what Jesus has done. And so uh, as Christians, we believe that we have been created in the image of God, in the image of a relational God. So God is triune. He is God in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, God, the Holy Spirit, for all of eternity, they have been loving each other perfectly. And Tim Keller says that we, thanks to Jesus Christ, as we've been reconciled to that triune God, we enter into that divine dance of the Trinity. We, we enter into that divine dance of the Trinity. And where sin sought to separate us 
from that God that we exist to be in relationship to, Jesus Christ, our deliverer, our savior, our redeemer, he conquered our sin and he reconnected us back to God, back to God's original intent, that we would dwell in harmony and peace with God and harmony and peace with our fellow man. And so when you and I gather in harmony and peace, looking aside our maybe uh, certain theological or political or preference, preferential differences about anything, about any topic, when we, when we brush that aside and we, we rally together under the banner of Jesus Christ, we're saying this is what Jesus has done. He's triumphed over our differences. He's redeemed me out of my mess. He's redeemed you out of uh, your mess. And now we're God's beautiful mess that he's making a new creation in him. So when we gather, we're proclaiming this is what Jesus has done. And so today, uh, that's the big emphasis that we're going to see in our text, is that we gather as God's people to remind each other of Jesus Christ, the one who has brought us together and made us one. So three points, I'll pray, and then we're going to go through our text verse by verse. Three things Paul encourages the early church to do. One, he says, remember your past separation. Remember your Savior's work of reconciliation. And three, remember your new corporate identity. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we bless your name. We cry out, you are a good father. And evidence of your goodness is that you've given us the gift of your son, Jesus Christ, our savior, our deliverer. You are perfect in all of your ways to us. You have treated us better than our sins deserve. You have not dealt with us according to our transgressions. You have lavished your grace and your kindness upon us. And you're just getting started. This is just the beginning of eternity, of us uh, experiencing the overwhelming, immeasurable love of your grace and kindness towards us. So we fix our eyes upon you, Jesus. We pray that you would be magnified and glorified, Lord Jesus. We thank you that we thank you, God, for the gift of your church. We thank you for those in this room, brothers and sisters in Christ for all of eternity. We're going to be doing this forever. Be hanging out with each other forever. God, this was your idea. Your church is a beautiful thing, Jesus. It was your idea. You did it. You brought us together. And forgive us, Lord, where there's been partiality, there's been prejudice in our hearts, God. Forgive us where there's been disdain and division in our hearts towards each other, rivalry and, and envy inside the church, Lord Jesus. I just pray that by your spirit, by your word, Lord Jesus, you would help us to see your body, your bride, your church the way you do, Jesus. So give us eyes to see brothers and sisters in Christ the way you do, the way you see us, God. So thank you for the work that you've done. You've washed us. You've cleansed us. You've sanctified us. You've redeemed us. You've delivered us. So we're here to bring glory to you. And you are glorified in when we love one another. And so, Lord, teach us to love each other as you have loved us. So have your way, Jesus. Would you be magnified and increase in what I decrease up here? And we pray this in your name. Amen. All right, point number one. Remember your past separation. Verse 11 through 12. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision, by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. You might be asking, okay, Lots of Christianese language. What in the world is Paul talking about here? Okay, well, let me break it down for you in this way. Here's the context. When Paul mentions circumcision, he's talking about Jews. He's talking about the covenant symbol of what it meant, the old covenant symbol of what it meant to be the people of God. 
Every covenant that you enter into a covenant relationship with someone has a symbol, right? And like if you have, if you're married, you have a wedding ring. This is a symbol that you belong to somebody else forever and you've pledged your covenant faithfulness to them. So circumcision was the sign that God looked upon the people of Israel in the old covenant and said, you will be my people. And they responded and said, you will be our God. Boom, covenant, right? Um, so when we see circumcision, talking about Jews, people of God, when we hear the word uncircumcision, that is um, uh, the derogatory, the slang term for Gentile, anyone who isn't a Jew. So old covenant sign of God's covenant people was circumcision. Uh, the new covenant sign, it, sign and seal of God's people was going to be actually a change of heart by the Spirit. The external sign was going to be baptism, right? The, the, the baptism is a sign and seal that we are, uh, belong to the people of God. But the true internal sign, I'm about to prove it to you from Scripture, is that we've been filled with the Holy Spirit and we are a new creation thanks to what Jesus has done. Romans 2, 28 through 29 says this. For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. But a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart by the Spirit and not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. The sign and the seal of followers of Jesus is that we've received the Holy Spirit. We talked about this in Ephesians 1. Change of heart. God dwells with us. He's made us alive. We've been connected back to the source of life. And baptism is that external sign of that inward reality that God has done. So it begs the question, why in the world is Paul talking about this? Talking about, oh, how amazing Jesus is, how he's reconciled us vertically to God. Now all of a sudden we're talking about some other stuff. What's going on? Well, here's the deal. In the church in Ephesus, go read Acts 19 if you need a, a recap on uh, their origin story. In the church at Ephesus, in that church, there were two groups of people, two kind of factions, if you will, that historically hated each other. And those two groups were Jew and Gentile, right? Um, historically, the Jews not only kept their distance from Gentiles, but they despised them. So much so that Paul mentions the, the slang term, the derogatory term that Jews would call anyone who wasn't a Jew. And it was the uncircumcision. Meaning this, you're unclean, I'm clean. Uh, you're evil, I'm good. I belong to God, you belong to Sheol, right? Like, I, I, I'm different, I'm other than you, and in a way, I mean, to kind of land this home so we understand it, is the Jews viewed anyone who was not a Jew, i.e. a Gentile, as someone who had COVID, right? I mean, like six feet apart, safe socially distanced. Why? Because the uncleanness, the impurity that was on the Gentiles, they could get. It was kind of contagious is how they viewed it. So they couldn't share a meal of fellowship with them. Uh, uh, their relationships were very limited on what they could do. They wanted to keep a safe distance because they didn't want to get that Rona. They didn't want to get that, you know, like that, that, uh, that variant called the Gentile variant of COVID, right? So mass on, uh, six feet apart, that's how they treated them. And so much so, we'll talk about in our text later on, please silence all phones in the, uh, just kidding. <laughs> uh, totally fine, I've had that happen before, and I've had text messages sent to me while I'm preaching before, uh, which is embarrassing. Um, so... Um, we're going to talk about a dividing wall of hostility that Jesus Christ tore down. And, and, and what uh, archaeologists have discovered is that was an actual wall. Um, this is what um, one uh, New Testament scholar says. In Jerusalem, between the temple proper and the courts of the Gentiles, there was a stone wall on which there was an inscription in Greek and Latin. It said, no one of another nation to enter within the fence and enclosure around the temple. And whoever is caught will have himself to blame that his death ensues. 
So there was literally a dividing wall of hostility saying, Gentiles, you can only come this far to the presence of God. You can only come this far to our God. And what happened was the old covenant people of God, they took the privilege of being God's people and used it for prejudice. They took the privilege of being God's people and used it for prejudice. They forgot the Abrahamic covenant where God told Abraham, from your offspring, Abraham, all the nations of the world will be blessed. That through your offspring, the Messiah, the Savior of the entire world is going to come. And so therefore, your calling, your covenant is a missional calling and covenant. And this thing, i.e., your identity was to be a blessing to the nations. And so all that to say, what I want to hone in on is this. Those were the two groups, Jew and Gentile. Historically, that was um, their animosity towards each other. And um, now let's put our thinking caps on and put ourselves in the shoes of the Ephesian church. So Paul, um, around 53 to 55 AD, spent about two and a half to three years in Ephesus, leading people to Jesus, preaching the gospel, praying for the sick, casting out demons of people, and building the church there in, in the city of Ephesus, which um, was a very pagan city, a very wealthy city, a very kind of sexually immoral city, um, so on and so forth. So uh, imagine with me the first membership meeting that the Apostle Paul had the church of Ephesus. Obviously, there wasn't officially a membership meeting, but just bear with me, right, if you've been to a membership meeting. So the Apostle Paul, um, it's a Monday night at 6 o'clock at somebody's house. He's going to gather the, the few believers that he's led to Jesus, and he's going to share the mission, vision, values of the church at Ephesus, right, and, and how they're going to reach the city for Jesus. And in one corner, you have Jewish Christians. You have Christians, followers of Jesus, who have given their lives, but were Jews, right? Jewish believers. So in one corner, and how did they show up at the meeting, right? Well, they know how this thing works. They're in their suit and tie. All their kids have their, their hair cut and combed. Their kids have memorized all the scriptures. They got their scrolls with them, right? They got their offering ready to give money, and they're prim and proper and, 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 and conservative and shoulders back, chin up, sitting silently. And then in, in the other, on the other side of the room, probably showing up late, you got the Gentiles, right? You got this guy who looks like a punk rock star. You know, he's got the, the haircut with the, the shaved head and then like the wave thing going on, but it's like blue. And, and uh, he's got like a sleeveless shirt on, holes in his jeans, uh, just puts out a cigarette before he walks in the room. They brought their pulled pork sandwiches for dinner to the meeting, right? And, uh, and maybe someone would ask, hey, are you guys supposed to be here? How did you guys... Get here, right? And go read Acts 19. What I'm saying isn't actually reading into the text here. Go read Acts 19. And one of the Gentiles would be like, yo, dog, uh, I was on my way to worship Artemis. You know, do what we do. We go and we go to the temple. We worship her. And then I heard this guy, this guy Paul, preaching this good news about salvation and, and that there's one God and he's reconciled us to him in Christ Jesus. And, and I just felt this conviction of my, my sins. He did this altar call and I came forward. And as I came forward, I, Paul was trying to lead me to Jesus. But all of a sudden, like all these demons I didn't even know I had started manifesting. And then, and then he, he was like, hey, the only way these things will leave is if you give your life to Jesus. Do you want your demons or you want Jesus? And so I gave my life to this Jesus that he was preaching about. All the demons left. I feel like a brand new man. I have this peace. Uh, and then Paul handed me this flyer and said, hey, come to our membership meeting the next day. So I'm here. I'm a day old in Jesus. Day old. And what Paul is saying is that the gospel is for the Jews and the gospel is for the Gentiles. And it was Jesus who did it and you're all going to figure it out is what Paul is saying. Right? That's what he's saying. And historically what we know to be true 
in the early church is that there were some, not all, but there were some Jewish followers of Jesus in the early church who still treated the Gentile believers like second-class citizens in the church. They still treat, even the apostle Peter, right? Go read Galatians. The apostle Paul talks about a conflict he had with Peter. Well, what do we see at Peter? Is there was a, maybe a community group at Antioch that Peter's a part of, right? And Peter's hanging out. He's sharing the meal with all the Gentile believers, you know, the punk rockers and, and the sleeveless shirts and, and the, the slang, right? You know, all that stuff, all the cool, like, bet, bro, that's fire, you know, all that stuff. So Peter's hanging out with them, and then there comes a time where his Jewish brethren walk in, and Paul sees this go down. And then Peter goes, oh, and he step, takes a step back and says, like, I'm not, we're cool, I wasn't hanging out with them. And then Peter goes and hangs out with his former homies, the Jews. And then Paul says in Gary Galatians, gets nose to nose with him and opposes him in his, in his face and says, your, your actions are not in step with the gospel of what Jesus has done. There are no second class citizens in the kingdom of God. Um, and so that was actually happening. So the reason I share that is when Paul, in our text, multiple times, is commanding the Gentiles to remember their past separation. The reason he's doing that is for them to stop feeling like they don't belong and for the Jews to remember that for the reason they do belong. The key line here, two times in our text, is remember that at one time. Remember that in the past, not the present, you were separated from the commonwealth of Israel, the covenants of promise. And the idea behind that is, yes, you were once separated, but you aren't anymore. So stop living or acting and thinking like you're a second-class citizen in God's family. And then Paul grabs the megaphone and just preaches the gospel and explains what Jesus has done. So both that the Jews at Ephesus and the Gentiles at Ephesus can understand who they now are in Christ Jesus. That they actually aren't Jew, and they are actually Gentile. They're actually one new man, one new creation in Christ Jesus. And this is what he said, second point. Remember your Savior's work of reconciliation, verses 13 through 18. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances. I forgot to mention this, but part of the reason of the confusion in the early church between Jew and Gentile is that some Jewish followers of Jesus thought that Gentiles had to convert to Judaism to become followers of Jesus. So say, hey, you can become a follower of Jesus. Yeah, you just need to get circumcised. Uh, you need to stop eating bacon. You need to observe all the feasts and festivals and the dietary restrictions and, and honor the Sabbath, so on and so forth. You need to become like us to then follow our Jewish Messiah. And Paul's saying, hey, Jesus Christ uh, declared uh, not the moral law, but the civil and the ceremonial law in the Old Testament. He's fulfilled that in himself. So he, by verse 15, by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And Jesus came and preached peace to you who are far off, talking about the Gentiles, and peace to those who were near. The same message for two different people groups. It's the same gospel. I am the Prince of Peace coming to give you, Jew, peace with God and peace with your fellow man. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So if you were to ask, how is partiality and division put to death in the church? Paul's response, what scripture would say, is that hostility is killed by remembering the one who was put to death to reconcile us to 
each other and give us the gift of eternal brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus. And the work of Jesus, again, wasn't just to reconcile us vertically to God. That's beautiful. That's right. But it was, it was to reconcile us to each other. That word peace is shalom. Uh, that was the peace that was in the garden when everything was perfect, when God was uh, dwelling with uh, man in perfect unity, and they were dwelling in harmony with each other. And then creation and sin enters and disrupts everything. Where there was peace, now there's war and hostility. And Jesus Christ came with a message of peace, which is shalom, which is reconciling all things back to God's original intent, intent with creation. And so Paul grabs the megaphone in our text, and he's saying Jesus' ministry was to reconcile us in one body to God the Father, bringing peace between the hostility between Jew and Gentile to create a new people to call his own from every tribe and every tongue and every background. And uh, let's look at verses 13 through 18 again. Paul's going to say, the way anyone gets access to this new family and new creation is not through their own merits. It's through the merit of another. So uh, you can pull back up this first. And so we're going to see, look at the highlights here. I want to uh, emphasize this again, but highlight the text. Paul's saying, look how, much, look how much work is accredited to Jesus for both Jews and Gentiles being part of this new creation. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who are once far off have been brought near. How have you been brought near? By the cross, by the blood of Jesus. All are welcome. There's one person who gets you in. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body. How did he do it? Through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who are far off, peace to you who are near, in verse 18. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So let me illustrate what Paul is saying about why this is so important to emphasize. So a while back, I'm not a golfer. Anyone here big into golfing? Any big golfing fans? Uh, nobody. Okay, good. I got one in the back. Okay. He was at, he's part of the story. All right. I have a brother-in-law who uh, is uh, an investment banker, and he is a member of the Woodmont Country Club. Um, <clears throat> Barack Obama is a member of the Woodmont Country Club. And so uh, a while back, it's, it's a very, uh, uh, how do I say it? It's a very uh, nice country club, if you catch my drift, all right? The likes of me should never step foot in that country club, all right? And so um, oh, maybe like six or seven years ago, my brother's like, hey, I'd love to take you guys golfing, you and Jake golfing. I know Jake loves to golf, and Nick, you can come along for the ride. Um, and so, man, I go to this country club, and I mean, I'm sure there's been a few moments where you just, you enter into an environment, and you just feel so out of place. And this was one of them for me, all right? I'm in my, in my like TJ Maxx polo. You know, and I'm bringing in my grandpa's clubs with, like, the wooden, you know, like, drivers to this thing. And just kind of embarrassed, like, kind of put, hiding the clubs behind my back. Like, oh, man. You know, like, it's just one of those things where, man, if, if, if they saw my net worth, they'd be like, hey, why don't you just go sit over there and get off the field, right? And uh, I just, it just screamed of, like, I, I didn't belong. And the first hole is there, and everybody's watching and all this stuff. And, man, I sliced this thing. And I slice it over here, and this is where the driving range in, driving range is over here. And um, thankfully, my brother-in-law sliced it as well. My other brother, Jake, hit it right down the fairway, as you should do. 
And um, I'm, looking, I'm like, hey, what kind of what ball do you use? And he used a Titleist 1. If you've been golfing, Titleist 1 is what the pros use. It's a very expensive golf ball. And so I remember um, looking over, helping my brother-in-law find the ball. And I'm like, oh, Titleist 1, I found it. And then he kind of runs over like, hey, 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 look more closely. He's like, it says it's for the driving range. This is what they use for the driving range. It's like, oh, oh sorry. Like, I was like, that's, they, they use Titleist 1s for the driving range, right? And like the whole time I was just like, basically I felt so like I didn't belong that if somebody would have said like, what are you doing here? I wouldn't have responded and I would have just went to the car and would have just left, right? Like, <laughs> you're right, I don't belong. But the beauty of this is like, I don't belong, right? But if someone were to approach me, and have beef with me being there and saying, you're not a member. You can't afford to be here. We don't want you here. You're not like us. I would say, hey, maybe you're right. But if you have an issue with my presence here, take it up with that guy. He got me here, right? He's vouched for me. You have an issue? Take it up with him. He got me in the door. And that's the refrain of every follower of Jesus throughout history is all of us. The only thing we can say, Alistair Begg has this beautiful clip from a sermon, um, you should listen to it. He's preaching about the thief on the cross. And he's talking about what would it look like for the thief on the cross to to go into heaven. And they say, um, uh, what are you doing here? How did you get in? And he would say this, all I know is that the guy on the middle cross said I could come. And so I'm here. Because that guy on the middle cross said, today you'll be with me in paradise. That's why I'm here. That's how we get in. So all are welcome, but there's one way. It's through the cross that we are reconciled. So the whole point of Paul, what Paul is saying is this new creation, this family of God, it's not about where we've been, but it's all about who got us in, right? It's not about where we've been. It's not about what we look like, what tribe or tongue or, or even our sin and, and what God has redeemed us from. It's about who got us in. Right? That's the most beautiful thing on the planet Earth is that Jesus has reconciled all of us from different languages, different ethnicities, different sin backgrounds, different crazy stories of how God redeemed us. So it's not about where we've been. It's about uh, who got us in. And, and one of the reasons we, we tend to kind of uh, keep our distance from community is, is, is sometimes we, we let our past life, our, our BC life, our before Christ days still dictate our present reality. We're like, oh, but you don't know where I've been. You don't know what, I'm, what I've done. I'm not like these, these Christians that, you know, like on stage is bald pastor and, you know, you went to seminary, blah, blah, blah. It's like, you have no idea what I've been saved from, right? You have no idea what a lot of these people in this room have been saved from. You think your stuff is bad? Like, come talk to some of us and see what Jesus has saved us from. It's the whole point of what Paul's saying. It's not about where you've been. It's all about who got you in. All eyes on Jesus, and so it's Jesus who, who got the Gentiles into the family of God. It wasn't the Gentiles' moral performance. It wasn't them becoming Jews first. The way they got into the family of God was through the reconciling cross of Jesus Christ. And the verse that really emphasizes this and lands this point home is verse 18, where it says, through Jesus, emphasis, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. The emphasis there is that through Jesus, we both, Jew and Gentile, have access in one spirit to the Father. Meaning this, Jewish believers, y'all ain't any more close to God or have any more access to God than the Gentile believers do. There ain't no premium membership, church. Oh, you got the premium membership with the certain perks and privileges. You're, you're actually closer to God. That ain't how that works. Jesus gets us close to God. 
We have, all of us have access, whether you are a day old in Jesus or 30-year-olds in Jesus, you both have the same access to the same king on the same throne with the same scars welcoming you to come to him. There ain't no premium membership. Oh, that guy's holy. Jesus is holy. Thank God he's given us his righteousness. Thank God that my sins have been nailed to his cross, so I bear them no more. The access I have is the same access you have by the Spirit in the name of Jesus. Ain't no premium membership, right? And so, so what I'm getting at is this, is the person who just gave their life to Jesus yesterday, saved out of drugs, saved out of prostitution, is just as close to God and has just as much access and is just as welcome with his people and to his table, as you and I have been walking with him for 30, 40 years. That's the gospel. That's what Jesus does. It doesn't matter where you've been. It's who's brought you in. Who's invited you? There's only one name that gets us back to God. It's the name of Jesus. So it doesn't matter where you're from. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what you look like. It doesn't matter how much money you have or you don't have. If you said your yes to Jesus' call on your life, to leave your life of sin and come and follow him, you belong fully and finally in his family. There are no second-class citizens and second-class siblings in God's family. Galatians 3, 26 through 28 says this, for in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you were baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. Therefore, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male or female. For you all are one in Christ Jesus, often we have a tendency to view our primary identity in other things other than Christ. Like, like we're talking about, okay, uh, gender. Sometimes we, I'm going to make my identity based on gender, or I'm going to make my identity based on vocation, or I'm going to make my identity based on my ethnicity. I'm going to root my identity here. And what Paul's saying, those are, those, are, those are actual things. We're not nullifying all those things. Paul's saying, but the main thing the, the new identity is that you first and foremost identify as I am a blood-bought child of God. That's my core identity. And, and you and I together, we are his people. We are his family. We belong to God. That identity trumps every, every other identity that we want to throw on ourselves is secondary to that we together are in Christ. Not just me in Christ, but we together are in Christ. Which leads us to our second point. Remember your new corporate identity. Verse 19, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Jake's going to uh, highlight verse 19 and the rest of um, chapter 2 next week. I'm not going to spend too much time here. But Paul is proclaiming a new identity over them. You're actually not Jew. You're actually not Gentile. You are a new creation. You are one new man. Um, Gentiles, you are no longer identified as strangers and uh, 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 aliens, but you are fellow citizens and members of the household of God. You belong here. Gentiles, you belong. And the line I want to hone in on is members of God's household. I love that imagery. I think often we forget that this is a family gathering. I think sometimes we're so, um, uh, and I have a tendency to get warped in our thinking that we think this is a performance, this is an event, rather than this is actually a family gathering. And this is a foreshadowing of what's to come in Revelation 19, which I'll conclude with in a little bit. The church is God's family, the place where God the Father dwells by his spirit with his beloved sons and daughters. And there's a beautiful quote by a biblical scholar. He says this about our text. This text says we do, can you throw that on the screen there? 
it's worth the wait. I'm gonna make you guys wait for it. Uh, the quote by, uh, boom, there it is. This text says we do belong. Christ has brought us home to God. We live in God's house as members of his family. And at the same time, we are a house in which God lives. We belong with God and are involved in what he is doing. The other people in the house are family with us. This home defines us. Christ has given us a place in his world. And from that sense of belonging comes a growing ability to relate and accomplish the tasks to which we are called. This text asks that we remember where home is. We are at home with God. I love that line. If you want to know where, where home is, this is home. The, 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 the gathering of God's people is our home, the place where we come to fix our eyes on our Father and what he's done for us and his Son, to dwell with him by the Spirit and to, to love one another and bring glory to the Father and tell the world what our Father is like by how we love one another. So if we are God's family, well, then it begs the question, well, what do family members do, right? In, 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 in the ideal sense of family members, I, I have three young kids and they also uh, <laughs> like to fight, whatever. All right, we're talking about that with, uh, I'm not gonna, this is one illustration sermon where I'm not using my kids as an illustration. And so I'm gonna, okay. But what I wanna say is this, is that as family, ideally, man, we hang out together, right? Family members, you got each other's backs, right? Family members, you're for each other. You're not against one another. Um, family, we, we, we carry each other's burdens, knowing that there's going to be a season as well where I'm going to need you all to help carry my burdens, right? We serve one another. We love one another. My cop, uh, my, uh, not my cop, my dad was a DC cop for almost 30 years. And when uh, me and my brother would just go toe to toe, you know, just doing what brothers do, fighting all of a sudden, the way my, my dad would instill an ethic and shut it down would be like, hey, like the world out there is divided and is against each other and hostile towards one another. And he's like, we, in, in this house, if your last name is Mudrizo, we're not against each other, we're for each other. So you guys can, you know, duke it out, do what you think, but at the end of the day, we reconcile, we get over our differences, and we realize that if we don't have each other's backs here, ain't nobody got our backs out there, right? And so what the church is to be, is to be a haven, is to be a refuge where the disunity and division and hostility doesn't work its way in here. The enemy, I mean, the enemy had a field day with 2020, like, amen? Like had a field day, just division, disruption, us getting our eyes off of, off of Christ and, and, and all this stuff, right? It was a field day, divided over everything. We're still in that season, right? Like the world is, I mean, divided over everything. It's wild. And I think one word to describe what the church is to be for each other and for the lost, hurting, and broken world is we are to be a haven, a refuge, a place of safety, of unity, of healing, of community. And Jesus in John 13, in the upper room, he says, the way the world will know that we are followers of Jesus is not by an Instagram post, is not even by us going and hitting the streets like we did last week and sharing the hope and love of Jesus with people, which is awesome, we should still do that. The way people will know that we belong to Jesus is how we love one another, is what Jesus said. It's how the church is unified, how the church serves one another. That's how Jesus is glorified. That's how people go, that looks like Jesus. Those people belong to Jesus. And so what that means is that every community group is an outpost of heaven breaking in to the sin-cursed divided 
world when you and I from different backgrounds, different pasts, different ethnicities gather from May to July in each other's homes. That is a beacon of, home, of, of heaven. That is a, an outpost of heaven where God's presence is dwelling. His people are gathering to fix their gaze upon him and love one another. That's what the church is, right? We are that place where heaven kisses the earth and God dwells in the midst of his people and we dwell in unity. That's Jesus' prayer in John 17. Would they be one as you, Father, and I are one? And I'll wrap up with this quote by Henry Nouwen. Band, you can come on up. This quote is worth the price of admission. It's so good. In our world full of strangers, estranged from their own past, culture, and country, from their neighbors, friends, and family, from their deepest self and their God, we witness a painful search for a hospitable place, right? What he's getting at is that the world out there is looking, is there a home? Is there a haven? Is there a refuge? Is there a place I can find belonging, safety, healing, hope? Is there a place, a hospitable place where life can be lived without fear and where community can be found? And this is what Henry Nouwen says, this is our calling, this is our vocation. This is our mission as Christians to convert the enemy into the guest and to create the free and fearless space where brotherhood and sisterhood can be formed and fully experienced. And what I want to leave you all with is just one last word of encouragement. Um, since the new year turned, we've had lots of new guests coming. The, the most common refrain transit family that I've heard uh, for people who are coming and are getting plugged in is, uh, is not for all the, 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 the flashy things that you would come to a church for. They say, your church is so welcoming and loving. I got welcomed. I got uh, invited to, uh, I was sharing, uh, last week I was talking with someone who's fairly new to the trans. He's like, How, what was your story? Well, I showed up and then somebody invited me to lunch the same day and I went to lunch with them. And then I'm here and I was plugged into the community group. And so I just want to encourage you to keep striving in love to encourage one another to welcome the guests. And I want to encourage you, you don't hear that feedback, but I get that feedback from a lot of good, and it brings me so much joy that, hey, it just seems like um, there's just imperfect followers of Jesus gathering together to love him and love each other. And we are being known for our warmth, our, our hospitality, and our kindness. So you guys are doing a great job, and I want to cheer you on in that. And so uh, we're going to uh, respond to the preaching of the word by taking communion. So if you're here today and a follower of Jesus, feel free to grab communion elements in the hallway and celebrate communion. Um, but let me pray, and then I'm going to read Revelation 19, and then we'll dive into communion. So use this time to connect with the Lord, to posture your heart, to receive the Lord's Supper together. Heavenly Father, we thank you that it's not your will that we should be kept at a distance from you, that we should be isolated. It's not your, your view that we should be isolated. It's not, it's not your, your goal or your will that we should be isolated from each other. And Jesus, we come today with grateful hearts. You have brought us near, God. You have brought us close. Jesus, we're celebrating communion today. Jesus, you've prepared a table for all of us of different backgrounds, different stories. We don't belong at your table. But you've called us. You've invited us. You've saved us. You've brought us near. You came and, and preached peace. To those of us who are far off, Lord God, that's your heart is peace. That's your gospel. That's your message, message, that there is peace with God. 
there can be peace with God. There can be peace with your fellow man. And we thank you, Lord, that you've given us the gift of family. Thank you, God, that, you've, that this meal isn't just about us and you. It's about us collectively, siblings in the faith, brothers and sisters in Christ, coming together to celebrate the one who died to make us family. And so, Lord, would you be glorified in how we love one another as your body, how we, how we, how we, how we have each other's backs, God. So would you search us, Holy Spirit, before communion? Would you search us and see if there's any grievous way, any prejudice, any partiality in our hearts, God? And would we repent today a way that maybe we've held on to bitterness? Today I pray, Lord, that forgiveness would be released in this body today, Lord God. That division would cease. Reconciliation between parties that might be hostile to one another would happen, Lord. But that you would give us eyes to see your precious blood-bought bride the way you see her, Jesus. So thank you, God, for the precious gift of community and your church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So let me read Revelation before we take communion, and then we'll pray. Revelation 19, 6 through 9. This is a, a foreshadowing of, of what's to come, us gathering together to share a meal, worshiping the Lamb of God who was slain to take away the sins. After I read this, we'll segue into worship, and you can take communion as you feel led. Revelation 19. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude. In Revelation 7, it talks about people from every language, every tribe, every tongue. A great multitude. Like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty, He reigns. And now let us rejoice and exult and give Him the glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come and His bride has made herself ready. And it was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb.